Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. One of the recurring topics on this program is how in mainstream media and popular conversation, we can perpetuate uh, damaging false images, uh, false stereotypes, so, uh, false ideas. So, so, for instance, the idea that there's somehow a warfare between science and Christian faith. Uh, historically, nonsense. Uh, the idea that we don't know when human life begins. Nonsense. But these ideas continue on. They get repeated as though they're the conventional wisdom. And many false ideas stay alive because they serve partisan political interests of powerful groups in America. I happened to stum- I stumbled across one uh, just this week. I noticed that we had just come upon uh, the anniversary of the showing of the ABC TV movie The Day After. You might remember, this was November 20th of 1983. And it's a disturbing movie. Um, it to- tells the fictional story of a full-scale nuclear exchange between the United States and the Soviet Union. The action focuses on the residents of Lawrence, Kansas, and several family farms near nuclear missile silos. A lot of research was done for the film. It was drawn from a, a U.S. Uh, Office of Technology assessment titled The Effects of Nuclear War. And, and the movie was a big deal. In nearly 39 million households watched the film during its initial broadcast. It was the seventh highest rated non-sports show until then. And it set a record as the highest rated television film in history. And it held that for at least 25 years. Schools produced study guides um, you know, for the film. Nuclear freeze advocates trumpeted the film as evidence uh, for their cause. And while it's not a great movie, it is provocative, and it brings out chaos and horror. Uh, You see all the social protections that work to make us feel secure. You see those things dissolve or evaporate. The rule of law breaks down. Uh, People live in constant fear of death and mutilation. Gone is the world of etiquette, respect, courtesy. The sense of the sacred is blasted away. It was also watched by President Ronald Reagan, who actually talked about it in his diary. Uh, he happened to see it about a month before the uh, the public did. But uh, knowing that, I, I fixed on the idea that, you know, Reagan was thought to be, and it comes out in the very first, in the debate he had with Jimmy Carter, that Reagan was thought to be a, kind of a nuclear cowboy, something of a warmonger. Wanting to blow the Soviet Union to smithereens. And this is completely bogus as an image of uh, who Reagan was. And yet, this image, to the degree that his presidency comes up, this image, I think, still sticks with him, at least in the eyes of a good many Americans. Uh, he writes after he saw this movie uh, the day after. I ran the tape of the movie ABC is running on air November 20th. It's called The Day After. It has Lawrence, Kansas, wiped out in a nuclear war with Russia. It's powerfully done, all $7 million worth. It's very effective and left me greatly depressed. Whether it will be of help to the anti-nukes or not, I can't say. My own reaction was one of our having to do everything we can to have a deterrent and to see that there is never a nuclear war. His Secretary of State, George Shultz, also saw it. 
He appeared on television, and he said, quote, The film is a vivid and dramatic portrayal of the fact that nuclear war is simply not acceptable. And the and that fact and the realization of it has been the basis for the policy of the United States for decades now, the successful policy of the United States, based on the idea that we simply do not accept nuclear war. And Schultz went on to explain why nuclear weapons uh, had a primary use, not as weapons, but as a deterrent. They remind an opposing nation that what can be done to us can be done to them. During the 1980 campaign, Democrats tried to paint the Republican Reagan as warmonger, nuclear cowboy. And this casting of Reagan as a warmonger is actually a great example of how truth becomes of little concern during political combat. Martin and Annalise Anderson have written a book called Reagan's Secret War, the untold story of his fight to save the world from nuclear disaster. And I'm going to quote at length from this book. They trace Reagan's thinking from his early days in college. Uh, he was, people don't realize this, he was for a time a pacifist between World War I and World War II. After World War II, he came to accept the morality of bombing as a last resort. And eventually, as president, he strove to eliminate the threat of nuclear weapons entirely. In fact, he and Gorbachev came right to the edge of doing it. The first record we have of Ronald Reagan's publicly expressing this desire to eliminate all nuclear weapons is on March 23rd of 1982. On that day, he traveled from the White House to New York City, addressed a 1,000 people at the National Conference of Christians and Jews. Before he spoke to the audience, he sat down with seven members of the editorial board of the New York Post. It was a long interview. And right at the end of the interview, one of the editors asked permission to ask one small question. Reagan was willing, but the editor's question wasn't small. It had to do with the growing rearmament of the Soviet Union. But this got Reagan's attention, and he explained how he felt about the leaders of the Soviet Union. They've deprived their people. They've lowered their standards of living just to continue with this massive buildup. And I must say, they've been tremendously successful with it. They're not only quantitatively, but qualitatively uh, an industrial giant. That's one of the reasons why we can't retreat on what we're doing, because I believe we've come to the point that we must go at the matter of realistically reducing. And then Reagan paused, as if you know, pulling things together uh, from what he had learned over the last year from updates from the CIA about the Soviets. He seemed to be thinking of what had to be done. And in the space of a few moments, he came to a conclusion and finished answering the question. Uh, go to the matter of realistically reducing, if not totally eliminating, the nuclear weapons, the threat to the world. Rankin's comment was stunning. If he was serious, with that one comment, he had carved out a new policy objective for the national security of the United States. And he was serious. From that day on, he was a bona fide abolitionist of nuclear weapons. He wasn't a doctrinaire uh, abolitionist. He never saw the dream come true. But it came a long way, and during his seven remaining years in the White House, Reagan referred again and again, more than 150 times, to the necessity of wiping out nuclear weapons, not just to protect the United States, but to protect every other country in the world. He didn't just talk to a reporter or two. He talked to the country, talked to the world, talked to joint sessions of Congress, to the United Nations, 
and especially to those in charge of the Soviet Union. He wanted all countries, especially the Soviet Union, to join the United States and reduce their stockpiles of nuclear warheads. At first, no one seemed to take him seriously. Maybe it was just too hard to accept the fact that a president of the United States honestly felt he had a chance to eliminate nuclear weapons. I mean, even in the White House, there weren't that many who supported this new policy goal. His advisors, with the exception of one or two, didn't think it was possible, that it was a waste of time to even pursue it. But Reagan, being Reagan, completely ignored them. And during the latter part of 1982, his national security staff, staff finally began taking his views on nuclear weapons seriously. Some were aghast. Some argued with him. No one seemed to encourage him. No one seemed to think he was right except Pope John Paul II. And after his reelection in 1984, Reagan told Time magazine, quote, I just happen to believe that we cannot go into another generation with the world living under the threat of those weapons and knowing that some madman can push the button uh, someplace. My hope has been and my dream that we can get the Soviet Union to join us in starting verifiable reductions of the weapons. And once you start down that road, they've got to see how much better off we would both be if we got rid of them entirely. In Chicago, he was answering questions from students at Providence uh, St. Mel High School. Uh, Students stood up and asked why the United States had to have nuclear weapons instead of just relying on conventional weapons. And Reagan gave him an extensive answer. He said, the ultimate goal that we could all dream of is getting rid of them forever, nuclear weapons. And believe it or not, you can be proud of your country. Under President Eisenhower a number of years ago, he offered to the Soviets and to the world to turn all such weapons over to an international body like the United Nations and take all of them away as a threat between nations. And the Soviet Union refused. So we're going to try again. And Reagan and Gorbachev did try again in Reykjavik. Uh, he and Gorbachev both I won't go over the details of the talks. Uh, easy to find, though. Reagan and Gorbachev both shared the goal of eliminating all nuclear weapons. Uh, they, it, it, you know, Gorbachev was still shaken by the, the nuclear accident at Chernobyl. Uh, came very close to signing such an agreement. The real fly in the ointment, though, was Star Wars, Reagan's strategic defense initiative. Uh, That's what he was refusing uh, to let go of. And that became the deal breaker. The older I get, the more I'm convinced that what passes for political discussion in popular conversation and in the national media is little more than laying down tissue after tissue of fabricated, misleading innuendo and character assassination. Jesus' words about never calling a person raka or fool or empty head become all the more relevant to the world we live in. You know, many of us think that Jesus' words there apply to only people we have personal acquaintance with. I, I would argue that no, this also has to do with public figures. They are people too, you know. And so we all find it very easy. I've done it. I've done it on air. Easy to fall certain people, fools, or empty heads, or raka. And um, I think we've all been in that position. There are public figures we don't like, 
and we suspect them, and we actually have evidence that they are uh, unworthy uh, leaders. But when our families gather for Thanksgiving meal, let's remember St. Paul's prayer that our words should be seasoned as with salt. And when COVID or abortion or LGBTQ plus rights or gun control or whatever else pops up, let's not let the world's distortions manage our words, but try to bring our words back to the one who is the word, the one who ultimately defines reality. And let's try to make every thought captive to Christ as St. Paul urges us. I'm Al Cresto.